This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And I'm very excited to welcome back a couple who have made a huge impact on Laurel, Mississippi, as well as their growing legion of fans. Aaron and Ben Napier have helped renovate dozens of properties on their hit show, HGTV's Hometown. But now they've fixed up a place of their own. Today on the show, the Napiers talk about how they fell in love with a 1930s brick tutor with a curious past, why they love life on a former chicken farm, and what they changed to make it feel like home. They also chat about their upcoming Christmas movie, Aaron's new children's book called The Lantern House, and what inspired them to open a new store in Laurel called The Scent Library. All that and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Ben and Aaron, welcome back to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you for Thank having us. Thank you so us. much. So where am I reaching y'all right now? We are at home. Yeah. So how long have y'all lived in that house? We bought it in 2011. Moved into it in spring of 2012. So 10 years. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of like a first date question. Do you remember the first time that you saw this house and what your reaction to it was? I saw it in junior high. And I lived in the country. And I just thought that these craftsman cottages that you see in town were so exotic. Like that was city living. It's the quintessential small southern town craftsman cottage. Right. But, you know, where I grew up, people lived in like 60s and 70s ranches or you had a brand new house. And I grew up in a brand new house. So I thought that old houses had all the magic, all the mystery, all the charm. So we would use this road as like a cut through from the country to the grocery store. And I thought this house was beautiful. And I drew it once when I was in maybe ninth grade and I wish I could find that drawing. I loved this house basically my whole life. We didn't know that the family that lived here actually went to church with us. Yeah. I mean, we noticed the house on walks and Aaron would point it out to me and be like, I've loved that house since junior high. It's my favorite one. And then one day we were out walking and we saw Miss Mary Lynn on the porch and Aaron said, Miss Mary Lynn, I've loved this house since I was in junior high. And she said, well, you should come and look at it. I actually worked with her daughter. We were both on church staff. And the next Monday we had staff meeting. And after the meeting, Jennifer said, hey, can I talk to you? And she said, mom wants to sell her house and she wants you all to buy it. That is a wonderfully old school real estate story. Yeah, it was never for sale. We just bought it and we have loved it. To death. I love that. Best house. Well, so I want to ask you about renovations, and y'all have done so many more than anyone I know will do in a lifetime. Aaron, you posted the other day that y'all have done 
90 episodes of Hometown. Yep. We just finished our 90th. So that's 90 home renovations, but then there's also the 12 projects on Hometown Takeover. In Wetumpka. It's 19 total in Colorado. Yeah. It's a lot. Almost 100. And you renovated this house that you're in right now. What is different about renovating a house for yourselves as opposed to working with another family? Making decisions. Making decisions for yourself is infinitely harder. The details matter so much to us that we will get lost in them. And once you've done 90 houses, you know there's a whole universe of options. And we need to choose the very, very best option. It just feels overwhelming. But when you're working for somebody else, it feels like all the information of what they love and hate is distilled and Yeah, you know what they're going to love. You know, like... They're not going to, the switch plates, we can use these or these, and they're not going to know the difference. So let's just pick one. And yeah, it's way easier designing for somebody else. So yeah, much harder when you're your own client. The easiest is when we're designing for someone that we know really well. So like Jesse and Lauren, my brother and his wife. That was fun. It was a blast and it was so easy. We knew every decision that had to be made. No questions asked. Because you also know when you're designing for other people, there's a reason that you're doing this for them. It's because they don't care about making those decisions, which takes tons of pressure off, honestly. Well, y'all have just been through another renovation, and I want to ask you about your new house in the country, which we have on the cover this month in Southern Living. And it is this beautiful old brick Tudor house that was built in 1930, I believe. Finished in 1930. It was built during the 1920s. Took them a few years. But yeah, it's it's a dream house. As much as this one was a city, um, dream. A city dream, that one's a country dream. Well, so y'all were kind enough to give me a tour of that house this summer, which I just loved every minute of it. It's a really magical place. Tell me who first saw it and what your reaction was. Pretty much since hometown has started getting big and since Helen has been born, we started looking at property. Like five years ago, I'm thinking in my head, what if in five years we're wrapping season six? It's one of the biggest shows on HGTV. And suddenly we can't hang out on the front porch with our little girl anymore. At the time, it was only one. And we reached that level last summer where we were thinking like... You also, once you have more than one child, the smallness of a cottage, you start to feel it. Yeah, you feel it. Well, let's back up. You and I spent a lot of time outside when we were little. That's right. And part of the reason that we bought the house in town was because the front porch was so incredible. But it had reached a point where... And this was not like a, oh, you know, we're Hollywood superstars. We don't want people taking our pictures. It was that it was hard to turn work off because when we sat on our front porch, visitors to our town, they would come to our town and they would see us on our front porch and they would want to stop and speak. And we were extremely grateful that they were here, but also we wanted to be able to spend time with our daughters, especially on the weekends. And so we were looking for... The what if I thought property. we would never find a house We're that would never ever going suit to us find. because we only want an old house. This is the second time Erin's done this. The first time she said, uh, she said, I want a Volkswagen Beetle. And I said, okay, write down everything that you want and I'll find it. And she said, I want a Volkswagen Beetle convertible 
with pearl white paint or candy apple red paint with tweed interior with a tan top with air conditioning. And I said, okay, that doesn't exist, but I'll find it. A vintage one, not a Yeah, an old one. And uh, found it. A month later, somebody called me and said, hey, there's so-and-so's got a beetle for sale. Everything that she wanted, it had it. So we got it. And then she made a list for what this house would be like this one day way off in the future. A dream house in the country, what it would be like. Do you want to hear that list? Because I have it on my phone. Yeah, tell me what's on the list. The list included brick, a screened-in sunrise or sunset view porch, a two-car garage, an eat-in area in the kitchen, a big laundry room with storage, a playroom, screen doors, oak floors, a car barn, <laughs> a car barn, <laughs> arts and craft supply storage, a reading nook, a mud room, a mud room at the, at back, the back door, door. <laughs> transom, a basement slash storm shelter. That was super important to me. And I thought we will never, ever, ever find that house in Laurel, Mississippi, because first of all, people don't really build houses with basements. So, and so we priced it like, you know, two years ago, we started looking, we were like, what would it cost to build this house? So we sat down with our team and, you know, they were like, well, knowing your taste and knowing your materials that you're going to want, this will be a $4 million house. So that's not happening. That is definitely never, ever happening. And so So Ben found that listing. Found the listing. I sent it to Aaron. I said, baby, it's got everything except a laundry room. The laundry room was in the basement. And I said, but we can fix that. We can figure it out. And so it was... The day that we were in the hospital that May was born, our offer was declined, and then we offered full asking on it and got it. Wow. Yep. And it's not anywhere close to even $1 million, so that's the best part. (laughs) Well, so you find this house that checks all the boxes, but then you start to learn a little bit about the history behind it as well, and it's got this really fascinating history. Tell me a little bit about that and the guy who built it. So we're the third owners of the house. First owner was a guy named Lawrence Moore. We actually have found love letters between his wife and him. And at the time, I don't know that they were married when these letters were written. And then we found letters between her and a friend of hers where she was talking about him. And, um, he fought in World War One. Fought in World War One. Lost his leg. Came back and he was a chicken farmer. He raised eggs, and that was his big thing. Was he wanted to produce the largest eggs? And of course, this is all southern hearsay and rumors. But supposedly, Sanderson Farms would not exist if it hadn't been for Mister Moore because he was growing big eggs. Big eggs means bigger chickens. And so they developed their farm from that. And so we got a Tudor mansion here that he built because when he came back from Europe, he was so in love with the architecture that he had seen that he wanted to build his wife this house. And so he hired a carpenter. They moved down there. They sawmilled timber on the property to build the house with the seals underneath the house that all the floor joists sit on are 12 by 12 by 40 feet. These were massive trees that they cut down and built the house from. Part of the reason that we bought it was because we'd never seen a house 
so incredibly well built. It's like a fortress underneath it when you go under and see the construction of it, which it's for, built like a church, a like very, a cathedral or yeah. something. And for most people, they probably wouldn't notice that, but because of what we do for a living, like everybody who works with us on our construction team, our architects, our designers, everybody who comes down in the basement immediately looks up and goes, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Look at these joys. Look at these floor joys. <laughs> um, we knew what we were looking for and we were just blown away by this house. And Mr. Moore, like you start thinking like, you know, he's a chicken farmer at one point, the largest poultry producing farm in the state of Mississippi. We have a newspaper clipping where he was recognized, but still he's a chicken farmer. He's got this big house, this big brick barn. And um, then the stories start coming out that he was a famous bootlegger in the town. Everyone who's over the age of 50 who grew up on that side of the county, when they find out that we have this house, they say, oh, yeah, Mr. Moore's house. Like, yeah. That's who my granddaddy used to get his shine That's the moonshine house. Yeah, Yeah. he's the moonshiner. Uh, There's there's, tons of hand-painted signs everywhere on the property that say, like, keep out. This means you. Yeah. (laughs) They're Um, everywhere. And there's also a lot of signs that are directly against Mississippi Power, which I don't know what that's about. (laughs) He had some real, real issues with Mississippi Power. So, Aaron, you grew up on a chicken farm. I did. So this had to feel like a full circle moment (laughs) when you learned about the history of this place. Yeah, I guess so. I'm thankful that there is no lingering chicken odor with this very old 100-year-old house. It's been many decades since chickens were there. But yes, my daddy was a chicken farmer. He's a doctor, but also his side hustle was chicken farming. And we had some Sanderson Farms chicken houses in our backyard. So I grew up smelling that horrible smell. And my mom would say, Phil, I hate it. It stinks. And he said, it smells like money, baby. I'm full circle. That's yeah. right. So do y'all have any chickens now or no. do you plan on getting any? No. 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 <laughs> I wouldn't not. mind some farm fresh eggs. <laughs> you have two daughters, Helen and May, who are what, four and one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Four and one and a half, yep. What are some of your hopes for them when you think about growing up on a place like this? We're already seeing some of it because we've been doing a lot of maintenance on the weekends and stuff and, you know, having guys out there working. And uh, we got a load of gravel dumped the other day and I've been slowly whittling it down, using it in different spots. We're using it for some landscaping. We're patching holes and roads and things. And but the girls, it is their. It's their mountain. It's their playhouse. It's covered in red dirt. What could be better than a big pile of rocks? Oh, they love it. And we've got a great Pyrenees out there, and he camps out. He lays on top of it and watches over the farm because it's up on top of the hill, and then it's a giant hill on top of the hill. (laughs) He just lays up there looking majestic. and That's the spot. Yeah, so the girls stay filthy. They don't know about screens. They've never had an iPhone or a tablet or anything like that. We grew up. Outside, covered in mosquito bites, climbing magnolia trees, digging in the dirt, and that's what I want for them. Helen has started a low tech childhood. Is a low tech childhood. That's what we're after. I was feeling a little self conscious because Helen has started school and her legs are 
covered, covered in, in mosquito bites. And she scratches them, of course. And so then she's got scabs and it's just like, oh my gosh. But then when you look back, you look back at pictures of me and my brothers. And me. And our legs were covered in mosquito bites. It was a good and, childhood. Well, you do live in Mississippi. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, the low-tech childhood. There's a pond on the property. Helen is a fantastic brim fisher girl. She'll tell you that she can catch brim better than anybody. Erin asked her, what's a brim look like? And she said, like this. She held her hand up flat. And then Erin said, what's a bass look like? And she said, like that. Because a bass is more cylindrical. Yeah. And a brim is flat. (laughs) Yeah. So they're becoming country girls. They're loving it. I'll be back with more from Aaron and Ben Napier after the break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and I'm talking with Aaron and Ben Napier, the stars of HGTV's Hometown. Aaron, so the holidays are around the corner, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the kitchen, which I know you cook a lot and this is a room that you cared about a lot. What are some of the things that you were looking for in this kitchen? This kitchen, I wanted it to feel like downstairs at Downton Abbey. I wanted it to feel utilitarian, but elegant. It's got the screen door that goes to this little patio. It's tiny, but it's just so perfect when the weather is nice. It's just a very sunshiny little kitchen. And I feel like you cook better in a sunshiny little kitchen. We did Easter there and my mom came and she said, I just enjoy cooking in here. And I do too. It's uh, the utility of it is exactly what I hoped it would be. It's an easy to cook in kitchen. Well, it's a great space. It feels very comfortable and warm. And it's got this room attached to it that you refer to as a keeping room. Talk to me about the keeping room and why that makes that space feel so nice. Growing up, I had a friend whose mother had a little living room in the kitchen. It's not an open concept thing. It was just a big soft armchair and some books and a breakfast table. We're in this room that was a part of the kitchen. And I thought it was so wonderful. And my mom's kitchen is that way. Her desk is in there and she sits in the window at her desk and that's where she writes. My mom's a great writer. I like a kitchen that is where we also live, but not in an open concept sort of way. So the keeping room historically was a room adjacent to the kitchen where you keep your company while you're preparing the meal. And that's the room we like live in. That's the only room we use in the house. It feels like everything happens there. There's a fireplace and big, comfortable armchairs and a little breakfast table with a banquette seat in the windows, and it's right there in the kitchen. 
It's just the best of both worlds. In our townhouse here, when I'm cooking, everybody tries to come in the kitchen and we all just stand around and we're like, everyone's in the way. And the keeping room is the best. We need to bring it back. We need keeping rooms. A while ago, we had lunch and everyone was in there and the queen's funeral was on TV and everybody was heating up lunch or bringing in what they had brought for lunch. And Helen was coloring a picture and our nanny was watching the funeral. And that's where everything was happening was in those two rooms that are kind of one room. I want to ask you about a couple other rooms. Ben, I was very jealous of your office. It's not an office. Which seems very comfortable and old school and okay, maybe it's a study or a library. It's the study, he calls it. Because you do work in an office, but I don't do work in there. It's just my study. <laughs> well, there's a great vibe in there. There's a record player. Uh, there's a typewriter sitting on the desk. Talk to me about your routine when you're hanging out in there. So it's his analog room. It's my analog room. I have a record player. There are books. The gun cabinet is in there. Your little AMFM radio? I have a little transistor radio. I have my typewriter. And on the way out every morning to work, it's where I leave my watches in there. Every morning, I go in there. I read my Bible. I drink coffee. And I type notes. I type letters to people on my typewriter. I don't always put on the record player, but I've got a decent collection of Final. Last um, night, he just disappeared while it was like almost bedtime for the girls. And I went, I heard the record player playing. He was listening to Tom Petty. There's a movie called FM. Our sound guy on the show, Zach, he and I get each other records. And so he gave me the soundtrack to the movie. And the movie wasn't very popular, but the soundtrack was huge. Anyway, anyway it doesn't matter. You were listening to Tom Petty. And you were just like hanging out on your leather sofa. Being cool. It's the most chill room in the house. But like, if you want to sit down and write a note or write a letter or read, having a place to do it where it is cut off. I don't like bringing my phone in there. I don't like anybody else, you know, coming in there on their phone or anything. It's just a nice spot. It's a low tech room. It's a low tech room. It's a low tech room. Yeah, talking about. <laughs> having a low-tech childhood. Well, it's got a great feel to it, and uh, I wish I had one <laughs> like that. I'm surprised house. that you don't. You seem <laughs> that very... That seems like something that you would have. I've got something in the neighborhood of it, but you've inspired me, Ben, so I've got some work to do. So I want to ask you about another room, and that's the dining room. And I love the simplicity of that space and all the wood. It's got your old upright piano. Aaron, but not a whole lot else. There's nothing fussy about it. What's an occasion when y'all would use that room? We had Easter lunch in there. And then we had friends come over for dinner and we ate in there. When Helen is wanting to have a special meal, we go in there, but she doesn't sit at the table with us. She has to sit at the kids' table next to us. But this is her choice, right? She's not being banished to the kids' table. It's what she wants to do. It feels very special. She decorates the kids' table. You saw it. She decorated it just for your visit when you came that time. She did. When you have more than 30 minutes to enjoy a meal, that's the room where you can do that. You take your time in there and visit a long time. Well, so y'all have a new season of Hometown coming up, and there's an episode about this house 
where you finally show it to your moms after they'd been hearing about it for months. Talk to me about that moment and what that meant to y'all. Our moms are hilariously different from each other. So my mom raised four of me, and I refer to my mom as a conservative hippie. (laughs) Her moral compass, she's pretty conservative, but also she's just kind of like, what will be, will be. You do you. Don't stress about anything. And so, you know, she was like, yeah, I'll come see it. That'll be cool. That'll be fun. And then my mom, on the other hand, was like, every single day, can you just send me a picture of just something? What if we eat dinner on the screen? What porch? if we come over and I only stay outside? And we eat out there and I don't come inside for anything. So these were the two people we brought in to see it at the same time. Ben's mom was like, all right, this looks great. Aaron's mom walked in in the entryway. (gasps) My mom's like waterworks, immediate tears. Because when you walk in our back door, the walls are lined with photos of our family. like Grandparents grandparents, and and uncles. I do that because in my mama's house, when you walk in the back door, That's what she has. So so, she walked in and saw the pictures and just. And my mom walked in and was like, oh, yeah, there's my mama and my dad. Oh, Ben, I can't believe you put that picture up. We got him to the kitchen and my mom is crying again. And Ben's mom was like, I just feel like it looks the same. It already already looked like this, didn't it? We were like, oh, my gosh, we literally took the entire kitchen out. We got it. And built a new one. She's like, the, oh, the old one was pretty, too. That's what she said. That's what I meant to say is that it was pretty the way it was before. And we're like, okay, thanks. Okay, yeah, it was it was beautiful <laughs> the way it was before. Well, y'all might need to get them on some new episodes together. It's a funny reveal. It's one of our funniest. There's a kilt. <laughs> and a I kilt won't tell involved. you anything else. Well, Aaron, I want to switch gears for a second. I want to ask you about your new children's book. It's called The Lantern House. Mm-hmm. And it's about a home that is passing through generations and it's told from the home's point of view. What made you want to write this book? It was so easy to write. Adam had the hard part of illustrating it, which took him many months, but the story just came to me very naturally and easily because every house we renovate on hometown, you hear these stories of the history of this family and how they built it and who lived here and the children that they raised and they lived there their entire lives. And then What happens when that family is gone? Because of what we do, we then hear from other people like, I know y'all refer to it as the Lindenberg house, but I knew it as the Malden house because my friend lived there. They only lived there for three years. but And so you hear about this life cycle. Yeah, that houses, they exist before us and they go on after us. And so what stories could they tell if they could tell the things that they saw? Like Jim and Mallory, my cousin and best friend, they used to live in a house that was built in 1911. And I think, I wonder if anyone who lived in that house knew someone who died on the Titanic. Like, think of all the historic moments that the people who live there experienced. And we just get to be stewards who take on that house and try to keep it healthy, keep it alive for the next people who get it someday. And man, it's good. It is such a good book. It's great. It's wonderful, especially coming from you guys who are working on these historic homes all the time. And you have this sense of kind of 
passing through and people taking care of these homes. And hopefully there's always someone who's going to come along after and take care of it after you do. Right. That's the thing is we can call a house our forever home, but it's only forever for us. It's not forever for the house. It's the truth. And some people might say that's kind of sad, but I think that's very hopeful that, you know, life does go on and the next family that enjoys a house may enjoy it in a totally different and new way. And that's something that we talked a lot about in the episode about the farmhouse was how the original owners built it a certain way. And then the Edwards had it after them and they did a big addition onto the house, but you can't tell that it's an addition. They did such a good job of honoring that craftsmanship and continuing the story of that house and that we wanted to then do the same thing, you know, live in it and love it as well as those two families. You don't want to be the one that ruins the good thing. No. You want to be the one that left it better than you found it. Yeah. I want to talk uh, Christmas for a minute with y'all. The holidays are upon us. and. Y'all are going to be starring in a movie on HGTV. It's called A Christmas Open House. What was that process like, and what can you tell me about it? It was fun. It was hot. Oh, my God. It was so hot. (laughs) We filmed a Christmas movie in August in Laurel, Mississippi. I wore a flannel with a wool sweater over it. But we were playing characters who are basically us. Yeah. We're playing us by different names. So it was very easy to do. And Sarah and Henry Wright. Yeah. The director was, she was like, please put things in your own words because I don't know anything about woodworking, but you do. So say real things when it's about woodworking. And it was fun. Yeah. You know what to expect with these movies. There's a happy yeah. ending. There's a love story. There's a small town. Maybe there's not a happy ending. <laughs> It's cheesy and it's sweet and it's Christmassy and apparently the world is really craving more and more of that. So we're part of it. Yeah, because there's not nearly enough Christmas movies out there. So No, there's not. (laughs) I'm glad that you and I agree on this. There are not enough. It was so much fun because it was similar to what we do, but at the same time, totally different from the way we do it. So it was it was a blast. Are there any more movies in your future? Maybe a rom-com or something? Mm, if they come to Laurel, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Chris Sullivan said he's going to get me in a movie about truck drivers, and I'm holding out for that. <laughs> Speaking of new ventures, you just opened a store in Laurel called The Scent Library. And just in time for the holidays, I might add, what was the inspiration behind that? So, yes, The Scent Library is brand new, but it's my baby because... I get these weird sentimental attachments to scent and I have been weirdly collecting my favorite fragrances since I was old enough to know that something smelled good. Basically seventh grade, I think was the first time I got my own bubble bath and I have been saving fragrances ever since then. But we have built this scent library. The whole idea being that every scent tells a story. You can smell something and it's so evocative. You can remember something about a person or a place that makes you feel so good and nothing else can give you that feeling unless you smell whatever that smell is. Like if I smell pink extra bubble gum, I could cry because my grandfather kept it in his pockets and he passed it out all day to anyone he saw. And when I think of that smell, pink extra bubble gum, it makes me very happy. And maybe not everybody, but most people have these nostalgic feelings when they smell something great. We played this game on set the other day where Erin, she asked everybody to come up with your 
top three favorite smells. And everyone was getting teary describing the smell that was their favorite because it reminded them of something. And it was weird that like one of my favorite smells, and this is going to sound terrible, but maybe you can relate. My granny smoked cigarettes and she'd never smoked them inside. She smoked them on her back porch where we were always playing around the back porch and you'd smell her cigarettes and cigarette smoking is not as in vogue as it was 20, 30, You don't never smell ago. cigarettes. Anymore. So I, yeah, I rarely smell them. And when I do, especially if it's her brand, it is just like, I feel a lump in my throat because it's her. And burnt diesel is his other favorite. Burnt so. diesel fuel because it's. <laughs> we don't have a candle called burnt but diesel. But think about fuel, like but. when you're growing up, if you're going on a trip, we didn't go on really family vacations. We went on trips with school or trips with church, and you'd get on a charter bus or you'd get on a church bus. And my dad was a truck driver for a long time. And so my brothers and I, like, we have these fond memories of getting to skip school and go with him for a couple of days on the road. It and smells like adventure. And it, yeah, it smells like vacation. It smells like adventure. So back to the scent library, all of the fragrances are grouped by subjects, much the way books are in a library. So we have seasonal fragrances or in periodicals. The adventure section is like manly smells. And we have architecture, gardening, biography, which is the Merck owners. We've all created a candle that is inspired by our daughters. And those are really sweet. But I just wanted a store that's really an experience. It's like walking into a miniaturized Boston Public Library and there's candles everywhere and room sprays and soaps. So it's going to be a very unique experience that I don't think anyone's ever seen before. We're issuing library cards. So when you shop a certain number of times, you get free candles Our scent testing cards look like the checkout date cards you put in the front of your book at the library and you can write which smell it was. And it's a very cool experience. I'm excited for people to see it because it's really special. Y'all may need a chicken farm candle. Mm, Yes. Chitlins, (laughs) chicken farm, masonite. These are all great, great local smells. Those would be the raspberries. Just an idea for down the road. Thank you. Great idea. So I want to end by asking what may be a hard question. And Ben, I'll start with you. What is your favorite room in the new house and why? The study is absolutely, it is so cool. And I love spending time in there, but I, I spend time in there by myself. And so I think it might be our living room, which isn't featured on the show, but The reason being is if we want to have a movie night with the girls, we do it in that room. Aaron and I end our night in there every night. We go in there and we watch 30 minutes of nothing TV, just something to kind of turn our brains off. But in the morning with the sunrise, it comes through the diamond pattern windows. It is incredible. And I think about, do you remember after we closed on it and they had handed over the keys I got up one morning and went over there to watch the sunrise. And that room is my favorite. I love that room too. I think my favorite room is probably the keeping room. Because it's where the life is. Yeah, that's where all of our memories are happening. But May took her first steps in the living room. Pretty good. So that is pretty good. 
Well, it's a beautiful house, and uh, I'm excited to share it with the readers. And I know y'all are excited probably to go there this weekend. Oh, yeah. We're going to be there all week. Yeah, we're off this week, so we're there a lot. There's a lot of chainsawing to do. You a know? lot of chainsawing. I was shoveling dirt before I came over here, right before I did the chainsaw, and then I was shoveling dirt. So, I mean, you know, just farm stuff. Well, farm that's stuff. it. <laughs> yeah. Better get back to it. Aaron and Ben, thanks so much for being on Biscuits and Jam again. Thank you, Sid. Hey, thank you for featuring the house. Southern Living for us is such a big deal. So. My grandmother was a subscriber since the 80s, and then my mom has also always been a subscriber, so it's a pretty big deal. Well, we're thrilled to do it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Aaron and Ben Napier. Make sure to visit AaronAndBen.co for more info. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. You can follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at SouthernLiving.com slash Biscuits and Jam. Make sure to come back here next week for my conversation with the amazing Tabitha Brown.